oftentimes places like where you would typically find people like out in the park or out at Zumba or Surfrider, like some of those places that are usually filled with people will be vacant. And it's like you have to figure out where everybody <laughs> went to hide. Sometimes they'll ride the buses all night. You know, sometimes they'll just they'll go find a place to be just like if you were, you know, to, you know, out all day on a walk or something and it started raining, you wouldn't just keep walking, stand in the rain. You would try to find somewhere to grab shelter until you figured out your next step. For them, it's just like they just go and find a place to kind of stay drier. That was the voice of Zachary Coyle, director of the Westside Operations for the organization The People Concern. You're listening to The Grab. Hi, welcome back to The Graph. I am your host, Joe Allgood, and today I am here with news assistant editor, Millie Oshard. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Okay, today we're talking about Millie's story, um, which is about something very topical in Malibu right now. If you haven't noticed, we've been getting a lot of rain, and if you go a little higher up into the mountains, there's even snow, which is definitely not the case for Malibu. So one of the big questions with that rain is, what do unhoused individuals in the area do in cases of extreme weather like that? So um, Millie's story addresses exactly that question, and uh, we're going to be talking a bit. So tell us a bit, Millie, about what prompted you to choose a story, where did the idea come from, and kind of that process there. Um, it must have been, so this story actually originally started in my journalism 245 class, which is basically just a reporting class and you're given a beat and my beat was the city of Malibu. Um, there was a lot of rain coming down. I think the first week of second semester when we were pitching our ideas and I was just thinking, I've done a bit of work about, um, unhoused individuals. I did a story on youth homelessness last year. It's always something that's been on my mind. It's hard not to be when you live in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty apparent. And it's also just as a human being hard not to be empathetic to people who are just like us, you mm-hmm. know, who just get down on their luck. And I figured I'd pitch it and my advisor liked it. And it was a, I knew it was going to be really interesting. Because I, I read a few stories from the LA Times or other or larger networks. There was nothing as local. Mm-hmm. And it's also an opportunity for me to just get to know more people in my community and keep working on something that I'm interested in, which has to do with covering topics like homelessness. Mm-hmm. So talking a bit about that, um, I'm not sure. Are you from around here? No, no. I'm not. Where are you from originally? I'm from the Bay Area. Okay. So you do get rain up there. We get um, a lot more than we get here, yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm from Illinois, which, you know, we get our fair amount of rain and snow. So it's interesting culturally, you know, California's relation with rain, Southern California specifically, and even more locally, Malibu. So 
addressing the topic of unhoused individuals, which is such a constant topic of discussion, that's a big thing. So I want to know what kind of research initially went into this once you had pitched the story and it was approved, what kind of um, background did you look for and, and kind of fill in on first? Well, first of all, I really didn't know what people did. Mm-hmm. I really didn't know because I didn't know that there's no homeless shelters in Malibu. The nearest one is 15 to 20 miles away. I didn't know that there's no close, there's no nearby winter shelters, mm-hmm. which pop up in the winter months. The LA, Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority offers mm-hmm. those in the winter months. Um, so I really didn't know anything. So the first thing I wanted to do was just talk to people and be like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And then from there, do more research. Um, that's usually how I, I, I do it. And so I just, I just went out to uh, a lot of unhoused individuals tend to hang out in Malibu by the courthouse, the library, or Legacy Park in that general area. And that's where I knew that I'd seen some people around there before. So I went over there and I just started to t- talking to someone who I saw. And from there, I talked to somebody else. After that, I started to learn more and do some more research from there, like about what winter shelters were. Um, and also just digging into the statistics, really, about homelessness in Malibu in general. Yeah, yeah. So talking about those statistics, I know one of them um, that stuck out to me, the the homelessness count is a very important uh, aspect of the story. And in Malibu specifically, you mentioned in the story that the most recent one, um, 81 homeless individuals in Malibu for a city of 13,000-ish, I think is pretty significant. So, especially in a story like this, the sources are so important. And um, I'm curious just to know how you, how you found your sources and first approached them and, and kind of talked to them and how that relationship developed. Yeah, so I, I knew that I didn't want to go alone as a young girl. Um, I just know that it's best to take someone with you when you're going into a situation that you're not necessarily necessarily sure what's going to happen. Um, which is not to say that all unhoused individuals are dangerous. I just know, honestly, from my experience in San Francisco, I have not had great experiences. Mm-hmm. On a side note, just, just that's a totally different note. But um, I just, I saw someone and I just said, excuse me, can I ask you a few questions? That's always, that's just always how I start. I'm, I'm writing a story for the Pepperdine graphic about where unhoused individuals in Malibu go when it rains. And then they just start talking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I got lucky, I think, because sometimes unhoused individuals tend to be hesitant to talk to people. Mm-hmm. So I was fully expecting someone to say, no, go away mm-hmm. or no, thanks. I'm not interested. But the first person I said hello to was willing to talk to me and he ended up um, being a really great source, and he ended up directing me to somebody else who gave me a lot of information. Mm-hmm. Um, so this other person, he described him to me, and I and I went over and I found him. He was hanging out by the library, and I just he was sitting on the concrete, and I just sat down next to him, and just we started talking, mm-hmm. um, and we talked for like forty five minutes. Yeah, that is a. Uh, I mean, first of all, getting a yes on your first ask is definitely something that. You know, every journalist, I think, hopes for um, a very impressive. I think, you know, that's maybe the best 
in-person interviews always have a different dynamic than Zoom and and especially, you know, someone you don't necessarily know super well, it's always interesting if they're willing to open up and, and helpful as well. Another aspect of the story, of course, is your um, more uh, official kind of side of things and, and, you know, those involved with the shelters. I know you, you spoke to the organization, the People's Concern, and um, several other officials, so I want to know uh, what those kind of sources were like and, and how that went. So this story has been going on for a long time. I started writing this story in January, mm-hmm. I think, and it's just been going through the editing process for a while, not because people are slow, but just because it's been asked, the editors have been asking for more and more. Mm-hmm. So I started with public safety liaison Luis Flores um, and Zachary Coyle from the People Concerned because I knew that those were two primary sources. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to get in touch with Malibu Cart, but I couldn't get a response. So I just, I submitted the story with the, with the um, officials that I had. And then I kept going back for more and more. And honestly, a lot of this, I I was pestering these people. They're really busy. They have really important jobs. It's really hard to, as a journalist, to rely on other people for your deadlines. So um, I kept pestering them and I, and I kept getting quotes and I'd, the editors would have more questions and then I'd go back with more questions. And overall, they were all really wonderful. They all were very knowledgeable on their topics. and very flexible and willing to talk to me. And I think that they're grateful that someone is talking more about these issues in Malibu specifically, because I don't think it's talked about very often. I think the only things that are talked about is how to get rid of the, the unhoused individuals in Malibu. And that's not going to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Speaking specifically about heart, I'm not sure you know, whoever's listening that you might not be as familiar. So, um, if you haven't read the story already, please do that. But, um, the Malibu community assistant resource team, um, which I actually reading the story, I didn't even know about it beforehand. Tell us a bit more about what they do and kind of the relationship that they have in Malibu, especially given that, um, like you mentioned in the story, there are no homeless shelters within the city limits, the nearest ones in Santa Monica. So talk a bit more about some of the things that they do and their relationship with the city and its residents. Yeah, so Malibu Cart has a um, really positive impact on the community. They're an organization whose purpose is to assist those in need. And there are many volunteers who work for the organization. And um, I don't know how long it's been around. I think it's been around for quite a while. But Primarily, the way that we see them is likely through offering meals and offering other services. Um, They'll do Connect Day twice a year, which offers unhoused individuals like haircuts, showers, medical services, job opportunities, and more. So that's the kind of thing that CART does on a day-to-day basis. Um, They're constantly working towards not the organization itself, but the Malibu's homeless um, outreach team is constantly working towards getting people housing. And in particular, CART feeds the homeless Monday through Friday Mm. at different locations throughout Malibu. Yeah. (laughs) 
and I talk to them about shelters, they do not want to go to the shelter because they are robbing each other at the shelters. Uh, some are abused, some are physically abused. Um, they steal from each other's each other's uh, food stamps or uh, social security check or whatever. You know, so, um, and at five o'clock, they have to leave the shelter. They cannot stay at the shelter be, be, um, after five in the morning. So a lot of these homeless people, they don't want to wake up at four o'clock and pack up their sacks and leave, right? They want to sleep in like everyone else. So, and uh, that's another reason. And then they also told me that at the shelter, a lot of people are um, um, mentally, uh, mentally challenged. So uh, sometimes they scream in the middle of the night. Sometimes they yell at each other and there's no peace and quiet. Uh, they can't sleep. And uh, it, it's just, they, they are telling me it's not a good environment for them and they don't want to go there. They would rather sleep behind a building or on the beach or uh, right now in the rainy weather, they sleep at the courthouse. That was the voice of Leah Johnson, director of the Malibu Community Assistance Resource Team, also known as CART, and a source in Millie's article. Speaking a bit more about you know, rain and inclement weather in Malibu and, and dealing with, especially recently, some of that, how does that change some of the challenges of un, being an unhoused individual or, or helping those who are unhoused? Especially, are there, are there any things that maybe don't immediately come to mind when you, as someone who is housed, you know, aren't thinking about as much? Absolutely. I mean, I never have to worry about where I'm going to sleep at night. And I never have to worry how I'm going to stay dry mm-hmm. at night and how I'm going to stay warm and comfortable. When, I, when it's raining, go outside and I, oh, God, I hate the rain. And then I come inside and I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to take a nice hot shower. But unhoused individuals don't have that luxury. Um, when I sat down next to John Doe in the story, when I sat down next to John on that cold concrete, I, you can feel how cold that is. And when it's in this weather in particular, it is freezing and they sleep on that. Mm -hmm. They put a sleeping mat on top of that. And that is not enough. It is freezing. And that's, so I, I didn't do any research in particular about, um, things like frostbite or the actual physical effects of being outside in the cold weather it doesn't get quite cold enough in Malibu for it to pose that much of a danger I don't believe but I do remember speaking I believe it was Luis Flores who told me that you know it's possible that people people die from being exposed to weather conditions because they don't have a place that is warm and comfortable to sleep at night in addition a lot of the unhoused individuals also you would think that they would want to just go to shelters mm-hmm. when it's raining, but it's not that simple. There's usually a process for getting into a shelter. And a lot of the people I spoke with as well said that they prefer to stay outside mm-hmm. because they feel uncomfortable in the shelters and they feel like they're unsafe. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the resources that we have available simply don't seem to be working for a lot of the people in our community. I mean, so many parts of America, you have to think about cold weather and, and rain and things. And um, like, you know, I come from a place where it snows every winter. So that's always a topic of discussion with unhoused individuals. Is it fair to say that in Southern California and Malibu, that that really 
heightens the stake or, you know, just adds another element. The fact that we take the warmth for granted and then there are times, though, when it might even snow or, or rain. Does that add to the challenge more than in a place where it does get negative 20 or negative 10 degrees? I think so. I think that's a good point. I think part of the reason why L.A. has such a large homeless population, I don't know. I wouldn't be able to compare the ratio between L.A. and New York per se, but I'm sure that L.A. has more people, more homeless individuals per capita because of the nicer weather. Mm -hmm. And that makes it doable to to live outside um so when rain comes through which is very rare in southern california it's kind of like i think a lot of unhoused individuals maybe haven't experienced it or experienced it for an extended period of time like we've had this winter in particular so it definitely poses a different kind of um threat that people aren't used to this jack doe when I spoke to him, he has been homeless for 50 years, 40 to 50 years. Jack Doe has been homeless for 40 to 50 years throughout the United States and throughout Canada. And he told me that he's learned how to deal with different weather in different places. For people like that, they learn how to do it. But for people who are newly on the streets and for people who are from places like Southern California, where it te- doesn't tend to get so cold and rainy, it can definitely be more difficult than, any, than on any regular sunny day in Malibu. There's a lot to think about there, and, and I just love the angle that you have in this story on that. Um, you've mentioned already that some of your sources, John and Jack Doe, um, and in the written story, there's a, a disclaimer about anonymity. Um, I want to ask a bit about some of the choices to to have anonymous sources and the pseudonyms that you gave them and kind of the process you went through by yourself and also with your editors um, to to write that into the story and how that went. So going into it, going into interviewing sources, I I figured people would be hesitant to speak to me. That's usually how it goes. Mm-hmm. And I figured that by offering anonymity, someone might be more likely to speak to me. I, you don't, offering anonymity is on a very, very rare basis do we offer anonymity. And it's because, usually because releasing their name will pose a threat to them in their life. So one of the individuals who I spoke to, it seemed as though from what he told me, it would be a threat for me to say his name. Mm-hmm. The other individual explicitly stated that he wanted to remain anonymous. I didn't propose it. He just explicitly stated, you can use my story, just don't say my name. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to speak to more people whose names I could potentially use, but I couldn't get anyone else to speak to me. So in that case, we want the story. Um, So using an anonymous source is the best we're going to get. So I did the interviews first. And then I went back to my editors and said, hey, can we do anonymity? Can we allow anonymity for these people? And they said, you know, if they're really not willing or if it poses a real threat, sure. Thanks for shedding some light on that. Some uh, transparency items right there. 
Thank you for covering all that you have so far. I just want to ask, is there anything that, you know, maybe it's in the story or maybe not in the story that uh, you think listeners should know and um, think more about addressing this topic in the future as, as uh, we go forward? I mean, there's a lot I want to say. There's a lot I want to say. I want to just appeal to the listeners and say, like, these people in our communities who are suffering are not people who don't deserve our care, our time, and our help. Donating your time and your money and your energy is a big thing to helping people in our community. But I think it's also important that we raise awareness, that we share stories like these, and that we talk to our friends about it. We have discussions about these. And I got to say, especially to the Malibu community, there's a lot of sentiment against having a shelter, a homeless shelter in Malibu. Mm. There's a lot of sentiment for just getting rid of unhoused individuals in the in the area altogether, which I think tends to come from wealthy people who think that unhoused individuals are kind of corroding the landscape. But that's not the solution. I think if we want if we want to help the problem, if we want to get rid of the problem, we have to help the problem. So I just want to see people in our community who I know have the resources, who I know have the time, get out there and go go have a conversation with someone. Bring them. These people are hungry. They're thirsty. They're tired. They're lonely. Go talk to them. They're still people. They're really great people. I had a really good time sitting next to them, talking to them. They're cool. They're cool people. Yeah, just I think that the best thing we can do, especially as a Christian university who preaches service to others. Take action. Do that. Don't just do it within your your community. Just just within Pepperdine. Step outside of that. Go help the Malibu community. Do what you can. Yeah, that's such a such a great sentiment. And uh, incorporating Pepperdine into that picture is also always something that should be at the forefront. I think. And then I just want to ask, what were maybe some of the biggest challenges with reporting on a story like this that you encountered along the way? I'm still like sighing at that because the story is still going through the editing process. Part of it is we had interruptions um, for breaks and life gets in the way when the story isn't very, it's not breaking news. So it takes a while for these things to go through. But one of the biggest challenges was definitely the constant as a journalist, you're reading this article over and over and over and you have all this information in your head that you think other people have. Mm-hmm. The key to being a good journalist is is trying to figure out that information that other people don't have um, and writing about it. And I'm still learning how to do that. So there's been a lot of back and forth with the editors of wanting to add more information mm-hmm. and wanting to get rid of information. And there's just been a lot of that because we want to make this article as as good as it can be. So there was just a lot of like, I need you to ask more questions. I need you to take more photos. I need you to do a little bit more, which I'm, of course, willing to do. It was definitely just a bit frustrating for this process to go on for so long. And when you keep looking at the same article every day, every it's it's tough. It's really yeah. tough to I am done. I know that I'm really grateful that I've, I've done what I've done and I've written what I've written. I think it's going to it's turned out really well, but it's exhausting going through the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I know, you know, it can sometimes be your biggest enemy, but 
that word count. Uh, so I'm just curious, have you had to struggle with the word count at all? Or Do you mean shorten it or lengthen it? Either direction. There's no way. So I try to keep my stories as short as possible uh-huh. and keep them as decorated with images and other sort of multimedia content as possible because I know people have very short attention spans and I want people to actually read this. Mm -hmm. Um, So I always struggle to keep it shorter because there's so much information in this that I think is necessary. Mm -hmm. So trying to keep it as succinct as possible while getting all that information is difficult. You know, no editor explicitly stated you're way over the word count or anything like that. I don't really think about word count. I just think about how readable it is. Mm-hmm. Just think about um, can you get all the information you really need out of the first reading it for the first couple minutes? And how long is this really going to go on for? Do I really want to read this for that long? Mm-hmm. It's more about that and less about. I mean, I guess that translates to word count, <laughs> but that's I think of it in a different way. Yeah. So just to put a number on it. How far over were you first draft? Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I was under. Oh. And I think that was the issue oh, okay. is because I want to keep it as succinct as possible. But in that way, we were missing a lot of information from a lot of different sources. So I had to go back, do more interviews yeah. and add more information. Um, I could I honestly couldn't tell you. I think I originally turned it in for class. It said 700 to 900 words. And it was somewhere, I think it was somewhere in the 700, even maybe the high 600s range. Well, that's not my experience. I don't know if you uh, can empathize, but I always end up, I mean, there are times I've been a thousand words over. And it's, (laughs) my my problem is I always want to keep the most quotes in, like I very much based around the quotes. And I can hear the person's voice and I'm like, this is such a good quote. The way they said it is so just, you know, important and, you know, just catches your attention. And I guess you always need the outside attention of an editor, you know, the perspective to say that is way too long. Yeah. You cut, <laughs> no one's going to read that. Yeah, all of them in half. And it's like 800 words are gone. So And it sucks, though. It, I, I totally relate. My first, I mean, the, the youth homelessness article I wrote, I... I loved and I went so in depth and my editors were like, that's too long. You need to cut that down. So I've learned from then, but also I think with this story too, there weren't a lot of, there were some great quotes, but not being able to record the interviews with the unhoused individuals, I felt like I was lacking a lot of information, um, but it was, it was mostly just like statistics and other kinds of just fact-based information rather than quotes so that I think that maybe helped lighten up the load a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's impressive as well. That going old school. Thank God for report recorders. And, I have uh, no, I, that's the thing is I have no idea how people used to do that <laughs> without recording conversations is like, I would just try and memorize it. And <laughs> when I was working with Alec, um, Matulka, is that how you pronounce his last name? Mm-hmm. I don't even know. I was working with Alec. Um, copy editor. Yeah, our copy editor. We were, I brought him with me. And afterwards, I would be like, did you get that? Do you remember what they said? <laughs> and we'd like immediately write it down. Um, I didn't have a, a notepad and pen with me. I think that would have been better. Yeah. Well, it's impressive nonetheless. Uh, and then to end on kind of a lighter note, what was maybe... Uh, your favorite or couple favorite things about reporting on this story? 
So when I initially spoke to the sources that I spoke to, they definitely had a negative sentiment about the people who were helping them. Mm -hmm. And when I left that, I was like, wow, they're really not getting any help. There's no resources whatsoever. And I think that there are the homeless community lacks a lot of really important resources. There's a lot of funding that um, are needed for homeless resources. And there's also a lot of housing that's unavailable. So there are a lot, there's a big major lack of resources within like providing housing for the homeless community and getting them stable and getting them help. Um, But I was pleasantly surprised to talk to the people concerned and to talk to Malibu Cart and learn about all that they're doing. There is so much more going on behind the scenes than we really know. I think when you actually take the time to do the research, you you recognize that these people are working day in and day out to get these people help. The issue is not that they're not working hard enough. The issue is the lack of resources within the community. The people who are suffering out there, which, you know, we have a, a deep... Um, you know, empathy for how hard it is out there, and I, I, I wish we had more to offer. Well, that's all the questions I have. So, thank you, Millie, for your time and for your story. And uh, if there's anything else you'd like to add, you can do that now. I think I, I gave my TED talk earlier. Okay. Um. But yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. The Graph is a PGM podcast production dedicated to giving listeners like you a behind-the-scenes look at some of the stories published in the Pepperdine Graphic. Remember to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you'd like to let us know how we're doing, feel free to email the Pepperdine Graphic or contact us on social media. And thank you for listening to The Graph.